The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. People know I take classified uh, documents and classified information seriously. There is no crime. You know, there is no crime. It's not a crime. There isn't a moral equivalency as to how these two individuals handled them, but they were both wrong. And Merrick Garland is now in a real bind. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. If you had a child and you gave him a credit card, and they kept hitting the limit. You just increase the limit, or do you change their behavior? They have lost every showdown over shutting down the government. Believe me, they are not going to shut down the government for sure. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden says he was surprised Republicans smelled blood in the water. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the administration falls under intense criticism. After classified documents were discovered in Joe Biden's old office, we'll have the response from the White House today and insights from former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, who served as special counsel to Robert Mueller. A standoff in the House over the debt ceiling is already starting. We're going to talk about the potential for a default with Douglas Holtz-Eakin of the American Action Forum, former chief economist on the Council of Economic Advisors. And as the Republican Party in Nassau County, New York, calls on George Santos to resign, the new congressman says he has no plans to do so. We'll talk about it all with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. White House reaction to the discovery of classified documents in an office that Joe Biden used here in Washington, D.C. as vice president has been careful, we'll say, beginning with the president himself. Here's Joe Biden around this time yesterday at the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City. And they did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, immediately called the archives, turned them over to the archives, and I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. Okay. But the questions keep coming. How did they get there to begin with? Why did it take so long to disclose? Remember, we we learned that they were found six days before the midterm elections. Was that closet locked? Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre went out of her way today to not answer any of those uh, at the White House briefing. Here's just a sample of her responses. This is an ongoing process under the review of the Department of Justice, so we are going to be limited on what we can say here. Again, I'm not going to get into details. I'm not going to get beyond what the president shared yesterday. Okay. Again, this was under review. Uh, this is under review by the Department of Justice. I'm not going to go beyond what the president not shared gonna go yesterday. Beyond. I have not spoken to the president about any of this specifically because uh, he's laid out. Uh, what he knows. What I'll say is this is an ongoing process. You heard from the president. He spoke about this in detail yesterday uh, in front of uh, on a world stage. I'm just not going to go beyond what the president said. Do we know who did bring those documents? I'm not going to go beyond what the president said. I'm going to let the DOJ uh, do that, do their process. I'm just not going to get ahead of it. Oh, they tried. But it was her job to go out there and not make news 
And I'd say she did her job today, remembering, of course, what President Biden said on 60 Minutes. Remember when Scott Pelley asked him about the hundreds of classified documents that the FBI found at Mar-a-Lago, Trump's documents. This was back in September when this aired, when the interview happened and the program aired before the Biden documents were found. Listen. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen, how anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. How could anyone be that irresponsible? This is, of course, why Republicans are calling this a double standard, pointing not only at the White House, but at the news media. And we wanted to talk about it with Michael Zeldin, the former federal prosecutor, former special counsel to Robert Mueller at the Justice Department, the very person we called when the Trump documents were discovered. Michael, I'm glad you're here. Welcome back. Congressional Republicans are promising an investigation. We know that Attorney General Merrick Garland has assigned the U.S. attorney in Chicago to at least review what's in these documents. Will a special counsel be assigned in this case? Well, it depends on what the facts are. At the moment, it appears that this was an inadvertent um, retention of classified documents, the contents of which were reported to be unknown by the president. Once mm-hmm. discovered, they were immediately returned to the archives and DOJ was notified. So on the basis of that, you wouldn't think a special counsel would be required. The U.S. attorney in Chicago, to which the matter was referred, yeah. is a uh, holdover from the Trump administration. So there's no uh, thought there that this U.S. attorney will somehow be beholden to Uh, President Biden. And so I think that at this stage, it's very premature and very political to ask for the appointment of a special counsel. It is political. And but you you know, that is what we're hearing, of course, and you're you're getting a lot of eye rolls from Republicans. But Michael, explain how much of this because these cases actually uh, have uh, not a lot in common, realizing they both involve classified documents. How much of this has to do with intent? Remembering that the FBI was asking Uh, The Trump team for months and months made several visits to Mar-a-Lago and, in fact, put them under subpoena in in this. This case is clearly different in terms of intent. But how much does that matter? It matters as a matter of criminal prosecutability, if that's a word. So in both cases where you have a similarity is that a president and, and in that case, former vice president, retain documents that they, under law, had no right to retain. In um, the case of Donald Trump, the investigation is, did he take them intentionally? And if so, why did he take them? And the same question would be asked of the Biden documents. Where intent comes in really more relates to the allegation that Donald Trump, aware now from the National Archives that he was in possession of documents, intentionally withheld those documents or in some way compromised those documents so as to deny the archives their entitlement to the documents. So it's more the obstruction that is what's at issue for me in Uh the Trump case than the retention of them in the first place. I expect that former President Trump was unaware at the outset of what documents were 
shipped to Mar-a-Lago principally. There may have been one or two that he wanted there, like the so-called love letters from North sure, Korea, yeah. but more or less they were probably sent in the ordinary course without his knowledge. The question in Trump's case, from a criminal standpoint, is once made aware of them, what did he? In, what was his intent? Did he intend to obstruct their uh, return to the government or not? In Biden's case, there doesn't seem to be an allegation of obstruction. He right. completely cooperated and turned them over. And so we'll have to see whether there's a technical violation of the of the Presidential Records Act by either of these goes these guys, and then what um, sanction is uh, appropriate for both. Well, so we heard from Joe Biden last night, and we heard from the press secretary today reinforcing the fact that they were immediately turned over to the National Archives. Is that what will, if that's true, is that what will matter to the Justice Department in this case? Well, there, as I said, there are two parts. One is, how did you come to have them, yeah. a Presidential Records Act um, inquiry? And then second, once aware that you had them, what did you do with that knowledge? In the Trump case, the allegation is what he did was obstruct the DOJ's effort to get them back on, be- on behalf of the National Archives. In the Biden case, once discovered, they were immediately returned to the archives. So there may be very different intents mm-hmm. that prosecutors use and evaluate this. One is an intent to obstruct. One, there's no evidence of that um, obstruction. We were reminded, uh, Michael, when the Trump affair uh, was was a big breaking news story, that this actually happens pretty often, that we've seen uh, the National Archives have to approach any number of former administrations, former presidents, to retrieve documents. In some cases, however, we weren't talking about classified material. It might have been gifts or furniture or whatever the heck it was. Uh, if this appears to be what you think it is, if it if it if if it is what it appears to be, I should say, uh, is that what this will kind of be remembered as, as opposed to you know the other major story involving classified documents after Trump? Sure. When you look at the history of prosecutions under this statute, generally speaking, the person intended to take the documents for some ulterior motive. The cases that just end up as sort of no prosecutions and just perhaps some regulatory disciplinary letter are the ones where they were taken inadvertently. From the record that's known publicly now, it appears as if the Biden case falls into the taking them unintentionally and returning them once discovered, and the Trump case has more allegations of intentional withholding and obstruction. Yeah. Got it. If there's nothing uh, here, Michael, will we get an all clear from the Justice Department? In the Biden case, yes. And I think okay. there there was a case that's similar to this. If I remember correctly, Alberto Gonzalez, the um, attorney general mm-hmm. under Bush, yeah. uh, similarly was investigated for possession of classified or, or documents that were due to be held by the National Archives. They were looked into and they said that there was no, you know, sort of no harm, no foul, meaning he took them. And he didn't do that, though, with the intent to do anything further. And therefore, that was mm-hmm. non prosecutable a case. Yeah. September 2008, the inspector general uh, issued the report on that. Michael, thank you for being with us. It's always a pleasure. Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor with a bit of expertise that we kind of need right now on a legal story like this one. Then there's the political side of it, and that's different, of course. That's where we 
turn to our panel, our signature panel with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Jeannie, uh, how do you think the White House is doing here? Because that was kind of painful to watch uh, with with the press secretary today. Does Karine Jean-Pierre simply not answer questions on this? Yeah, I mean, it was painful. Honest to goodness, if you didn't tell me this was reality, I would think it was a really bad movie. (laughs) This is a very bad sign for the Democrats. You know, now it is going to be very, very tough for somebody like Jack Smith to decide to prosecute Donald Trump if that's where he was intending to go. Because, of course, you've got Biden with classified information in a closet, Hillary Clinton with classified information on a server. You know, Mike Zeldin is right. There are signs that this was more intentional and withholding and Trump. But that may be true legally, but politically, Mm. this is a nightmare for the Biden administration. And I love that you played that 60 Minutes clip, because I think that's going to be the the thing that the Democrats Biden has to watch out for. Corrine Jean-Pierre, they have to be very careful at this point what they say. He should have never been out on 60 Minutes talking about how unfathomable this was about Trump and then to have it turn up with him, you know, a few months later. So they're going to have to be very careful here not to say anything until the Justice Department makes the decision at least about how to move forward well i guess look sometimes your hands are just tied and there's not a lot you can say though uh rick you're a communications expert did the white house take the right approach here you know she just needs to repeat what he said in his statement you saw he read word for word exactly what was in the statement that was prepared by his aides who said hey you know this is something we can really get away with Mm -hmm. it'll hold us in place Uh, But the mistake was the 60 Minutes. I mean, why would a president ever talk about what's going on at the Justice Department with an open case? Uh, And that's where the trip came. So she needs to just repeat what he's already said. She doesn't need to veer from that. Sooner or later, they'll get tired of asking her the same question if she gives the same answer. But the the, the bloom is off the rose here. He's he's into uh, damage control at this point, and I'm not sure they're going to be good at handling it. Wow. Listen to how Donald Trump, by the way, these were his... Some of his first remarks in, in, in reacting to what happened at Mar-a-Lago, which, by the way, was all the way back in August. I, I was kind of surprised to see how much time had passed. Just, just that's how busy things have been. Here is the former president on what happened in Florida. There is no crime. You know, there is no crime. It's not a crime. And they should give me immediately back everything that they've taken from me because it's mine. <laughs> it's mine. That was that was his approach. Not only did I not do something wrong, you did. And you do wonder, Jeannie, if there's something that Joe Biden could learn from him in that approach. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't suggest he go down the Trump route. You know, many people have tried. Few have been successful. It's pretty much only Donald Trump who gets away with saying that kind of stuff. I guess so. The president really needs to not say much more than he said yesterday. It was painful to listen to. But he's going to have to say we can't comment until this investigation is over. There's nothing else to be said. And I couldn't agree with Rick Moore. What's getting him into trouble is the fact that when Biden is not on a teleprompter, he can go a little haywire, as we all know, and those things come back to haunt him. Listen to Kevin McCarthy today. The Speaker of the House has finally weighed in. We know that investigations are coming. I'm sure the Oversight Committee is drooling over this. Here's McCarthy. Why does his Department of Justice treat people differently? Every time we find something that comes out before the election dealing with Biden's family, it's pushed under the rug. It's called a lie. It's called it. The Russians are doing it. And now, when why did they treat President Trump totally different as DOJ? Why did they raid? Why did they raid? Uh, you do wonder, Rick, when you hear commentary like that from the new Republican speaker, would it behoove this Justice Department to just put a special counsel on this case, call it a day? 
You know, they got to be careful creating precedent. Um, you know, they, they have a special counsel there for a reason uh, to investigate Trump. Uh, the reason they raided <clears throat> is because he wouldn't give him back the documents that he stole. So, yeah. I mean, like, it's not that he had them. He wouldn't give them back. Uh, <laughs> right. Biden actually returned them without being asked. Uh, so yeah. they got it. It isn't a moral equivalent. It isn't a legal equivalent. Um, uh, at this point, not totally clear what laws Biden um, uh, violated. But, you know, you're not supposed to be in possession of this. So by by virtue of that being in his possession, He's got some exposure, but the fact that it would require uh, a special counsel or added to the current special counsel, I think, is a, a, a bit of a, a more of a political issue than it is a legal issue. I guess Jim Comer is going to have a good time with this one, right, Jeannie? I mean, the Oversight Committee is going to go hard on this until we know more or even after the DOJ reports. I, I don't think they're going to stop regardless of what the DOJ does, regardless of what happens. This was a political gift to the Republicans, exactly what they could have hoped for. They couldn't have asked for more, and it landed in their laps. Um, you know, so, so they're going to run with it. And, of course, they're going to have, uh, you know, to really they do have something to say about this. You know, we heard from Mark Warner, the chair of Senate Intelligence, committee and he's right we need to be briefed on this these are yeah. issues of national security well at least let's find out how they got there and then maybe they can within their classified circles discuss what was in those documents i don't know of course if there's any news you'll hear about it right here on bloomberg radio and you know we'll talk about it on this program the fastest hour in politics still wouldn't want to be george santos today we'll talk about it with the panel next this is bloomberg Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I will not. New York Republicans are calling you a disgrace. You will not resign? What is your response to the New York Republicans? Uh. If you say that you are mine. It's just getting hotter for George Santos, boy. You thought last week was tough. And he's got some, yeah, big questions to answer here as now the calls start coming from inside the House. You know, it's one thing to have people yelling at you in Washington, D.C., and I'll tell you what, this guy can't even go to the bathroom right now. He can't leave the office. He can't get lunch. He can't get on an elevator. They actually got in between him and the elevator today. And this is just an exercise. My goodness, the media, they're not going to let go of you. But none of that matters, especially when you've got Kevin McCarthy saying, hey, uh, he got elected, fire him in two years. Until, of course, the leaders from Nassau County come calling. This is Nassau County Republican Party Chair uh, Joseph Cairo, who's talking earlier today at a news conference. He has no place in the Nassau County Republican Committee, nor should he serve in public service, nor as an elected official. He's not welcome here at Republican headquarters for Ugh. meetings or at any of our events. As I said, he's disgraced the House of Representatives, and we do not consider him one of our 
Congress people. Wow. Today, on behalf of the Nassau County Republican Committee, I am calling for his immediate resignation. Okay. Uh, by the way, Joseph Cairo, not alone. He's the chair. He was flanked by every member of the Nassau County, every official in the Nassau, Nassau County Republican Party. They all took their turn at the microphone. Listen. We must call for the resignation of Congressman George Santos. Okay. Calling for George Santos nope. to resign. Calling on George Santos to resign. Demand that George Santos. Demand steps down calling him to step aside he should resign my office will have no interaction with george santos or his staff (laughs) until he resigns wow okay that was all just today and george santos by god he got to the elevator and had no choice but to actually answer a question listen will you step down I will New York Republicans are calling you a disgrace. <laughs> you will not resign. What is your response in New York Republicans? Okay, maybe you didn't hear what he said. I will not in the middle of all of that yelling. What a way to make a living. And so we have to turn to the panel on this one. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is talking, guys. Uh, he says that Santos deserves to remain in Congress. Quote, it's the voters who make that decision, and he has to answer it to the voters. Uh, going on to say that if they don't like what they have here, they should fire him and elect someone else in two years. Is that good enough, Rick? You know, that gets him out of the news cycle. <clears throat> and obviously the news cycle is driven by the quotes that you have uh, yeah. from virtually every elected official in his district and the borders telling him to resign. Um, certainly for them, it's a huge embarrassment to have him as a representative in in, in their neighborhood. Uh, But at the end of the day, the Constitution really doesn't care how he got elected. Uh Once he's sworn in, he's there for two years. And removal is exceptionally difficult. Um, It's almost like the constitutional framers knew that there'd be scalawags in the House of Representatives. And if they had to get rid of all (laughs) of them, they wouldn't have anybody to vote. (laughs) Right. So, look, I, I don't know if he resigns or not. It sure sounds like not, at least today. Jeannie, that could change by the weekend. But in that case, your Democratic governor uh, would then schedule a special election. We go through this all over again. Yeah, for some reason, I'm not sure I believe George Santos when he says he won't resign. You can't believe anything the man says. But, you know, right now he's saying he won't resign. And, of course, to be expelled would take a two-thirds vote in the House. That's unlikely to happen. Um, And you're right. Kathy Hochul, the governor, um, would have to, if he did resign or was expelled, she would call for a special election. And it would be about... 70 to 90 days after he resigned approximately and the problem for republicans is they feel very vulnerable in this district right now and that's why you know i think as much as kevin mccarthy and steve scalise they want to sort of stay as quiet as possible and Mm -hmm. and you know let the voters have their due the reality is this is being pushed by republicans in this district and i hear from them they are devastated because they think this could rob them of this seat for a long time Mm -hmm. And that's why they're pushing so hard to get him out before he really damages the Republican Party in a way they can't come back from in the near future. Well, so, okay, let's say he does not leave. Uh, Rick, how difficult is it to operate as a member of Congress when you have uh, no interaction with local party officials like that? Kevin McCarthy says Santos will have to build trust in Congress. Is it possible? 
No, nah, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, first of all, just getting from his office to the floor is almost impossible right. <laughs> because of the media scrum that's like surrounding him, asking him, are you going to resign? Yeah. Um, uh, and it's seen uh, in the reporting that very few members want to interact with him. Uh, most of them have the same attitude that his colleagues do, which is, um, you know, it's an embarrassment to have him in the House. So, uh, look, I mean, we haven't even started to see the Democrats come after this guy. Most of the news mm. is Republicans saying that he ought to go. The minute that dies down, if I'm the Democratic Party, I'd be all over this guy every single day. Because as Jeannie says, this is a swing district and not a day will go by in the next two years that he isn't going to be dogged by somebody screaming to resign. A swing district. And uh, what do we have? Five votes to play with here. Four votes, Jeannie. Um, This this normally wouldn't be such a big deal if it weren't such a slim majority. That's right. And, you know, to Rick's point, we're hearing words like pinata. Democrats, they want to, you know, hit him, but they want him to stay. They don't want him to go because for them, he's like the poster child of what they want to describe Republicans as. He is the best thing they've got going on. So, you know, they want to keep him. But, you know, talking about how he's going to function, not only, you know, be alienated from his uh, colleagues and all of that, but what we heard from Republicans in Nassau County today, they're going to keep him out of the local government they're not going to let him go to local meetings and events they're telling constituents to contact representatives and local districts on the on on the border so they are just completely trying to alienate him and cut him out i think very hard for him to sustain at this point he did send a tweet it wasn't just what i played for you in the hallway he writes i was elected to serve the people of not the party and politicians i remain committed to doing that and regret to hear that local officials refuse to work with my office to deliver results, keep our community safe, lower the cost of living. I will not resign, exclamation point. Is he going to get on a committee, do we think, Rick? Uh, not likely. I mean, first of all, most of these committee chairmen are like, don't put him on my committee. Well, yeah. Um, and there is some indication uh, that McCarthy is likely to not put him on a committee. So he could be stranded. I mean, he's already the most famous freshman congressman in, in the House. And... I think, you know, maybe he's playing for, you know, a shot at, you know, dancing with the stars or something after his term is up because he will not get elected. I mean, there's zero chance that he can serve a second term. That's so, actually I mean, the reality is he, if he wants his star turn for the next two years, he can probably get it. But it's going to come at a huge cost. I could see him, you know, dance in the samba or something, you know, uh, Sean uh, Spicer style. Don't, don't you think, Jeannie? Uh, don't say they go that low on dancing oh. with the stars. Oh, they, they have more credibility than that. <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. I'm not either, but I'm hoping. You just wonder what kind of a character he becomes. Is this really going to happen? But then again, we've got a criminal investigation here. We have to remember the the financial side of this. It's not just about lying about working at Goldman Sachs and lying about your religion or whatever else is on that crazy resume. Uh, He may have uh, committed campaign finance violations. And if we have a case of fraud, Jeannie, that's a very different situation. Absolutely. His financial disclosures, campaign finance fraud, the Nassau County District Attorney is already looking into it. We've got the Brazilian authorities on his on his <laughs> case, if you will. You know, and who wants to work either in his office for him? And how could he be doing any business of these people he's claiming to represent when all of his focus has got to be on defending himself and getting out of this mess? So the real losers here are the constituents in the third district on Long Island who are stuck with this guy who cannot be effective in the slightest bit for them in the first term in which the Republicans have taken the seat back. How do you get a staff when when you're in a situation like this, Rick? I mean, is there a clearinghouse of Capitol Hill workers he can pick from here, or, or is he going to have trouble just, just maintaining his office? 
You know, yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, uh, I can imagine that nobody wants to be tagged with him. Could you imagine his communication director? I oh, mean, my wow. God. The incoming has to be huge. But <laughs> look, I mean, there are always people who are willing to help folks out. I mean, it, it, frankly, if the leadership were smart, they'd get him some people huh. uh, to keep him out of trouble because this can get worse. And as you point out, he could be going through an investigation around the finances of his campaign. Wow. And that ups the ante. I mean, the last thing the Republican Party wants, the last thing the leadership wants in the house is to look like we're you know condoning some kind of uh uh person who would violate the law and so that just it can get worse it seems bad today it can get worse and if it can this is washington rick and Jeannie, stay with us for the hour our signature panel my god what a story just every day it i just you never know what we're gonna get the countdown has begun this may a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the qatar economic forum powered by bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners the qatar ministry of commerce and industry and media city qatar and premier sponsor q and b join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, I was planning to talk to you right here about the debt limit, but we've got breaking news now. The New York Times is reporting... A second batch? More classified documents have been discovered here. A second location. Uh, New York Times, President Biden's aides found other classified documents dating from the Obama administration at a second location associated with Mr. Biden. It's not clear where they were recovered, but his aides have been scouring apparently various places since they found the docs we've been talking about in November. Remember, six days before the midterms. They wanted a Apparently a massive hunt. The discovery of the second batch earlier reported by NBC News to be safe and careful here and accurate. Uh, a White House spokesperson, a member of President Biden's legal team, not immediately returning requests for comment. Uh, I'll be very curious to hear from the panel on this for just a quick moment because we started the program talking about this with Michael Zeldin, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Uh, are here. Uh, Rick, this obviously is not going to make this any easier for the White House. Democrats are going to have a hard time with the narrative on Donald Trump. No, nah, this is the drip, drip, drip of more news coming out. I mean, they're gonna, everybody's going to want to know where were the documents, what mm-hmm. was in them, anything on Ukraine, because that would have to do with, you know, Hunter Biden. Uh, yep. You know, and this is just going to give more fuel to the fire for James Comer, the, the Oversight Committee chairman, who already issued a whole passel of letters today, you know, to... Uh, uh, the National Archives and Records Administration for information on what was missing. You know, why didn't you know these documents were missing? So uh, I, I think we're going to hear a lot about this. Certainly it's in the Republicans' interest yeah. to try and create a parallel so that they can get rid of this debate over Donald Trump. It's, it's created a lot of problems for the party and a lot of problems for Donald Trump. And I, I suspect if they could do a deal today where they wouldn't talk about Biden's records and they wouldn't talk about Trump's records, everybody would yeah. be fine. Wow. Jeannie, are we thinking uh, the beach house in Delaware? How many places could Joe Biden 
be stashing documents. Yeah, I mean, and this is part of the problem here is that he's been out of the vice president's office for a long time. This covers yeah. a number of years and sort of where these records were, the chain of custody, how they got wherever they got. Now a second batch, as you just mentioned, being reported. And we understand, to Rick's point, some of these are sensitive, compartmentalized information that's above top secret yeah. involving Ukraine, Iran, and the United Kingdom, at least according to some reports. That is a very bad sign. It is just going to give the Republicans in Congress more fodder to attack him and pursue the Hunter Biden story. And you can't blame them, right? They should. Incredible. NBC News, New York Times, second batch of documents found. Uh, look, as soon as we learn more, we'll let you know, of course. But I wanted to make sure that you were up to date on that story as we turn uh, to worries about the debt ceiling. We're about to bump into it. Maybe not about. But the Associated Press is already writing about it. federal government is on track to max out on its $31.4 trillion borrowing authority as soon as this month. That doesn't mean we hit the ceiling this month because, you know, then they go to extraordinary measures and all the rest of this stuff. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy on Fox News last night talking about abusing America's credit card. Here he is. If you had a child and you gave them a credit card and they kept hitting the limit, you just increase the limit or do you change their behavior? This is our moment to change the behavior to make sure that hardworking taxpayer that we're not wasting their money. This is why conservatives were, who were holding out on Speaker McCarthy were demanding that if you make a deal to raise the debt ceiling, it must come with budget reductions here. We've got to spend less. And that's what we wanted to talk about with Douglas Holtz-Eakin. The president of the American Action Forum, former Council of Economic Advisors, chief economist with us right now. Of course, that was in the W. Bush administration. It's great to have you back, uh, Douglas. A lot of worry about a shutdown, a lot of worry about a default here. Can Kevin McCarthy thread this needle? And if he if he does cut the budget to make a debt ceiling deal, how does he get that through the Senate? Well, in the end, the U.S. will have to raise its debt ceiling or suspend it. Um, because to fail to do so would be to guarantee default on treasuries, and that's an unthinkable option. Uh, that Those treasuries are the foundation of the global financial system. Uh, their safety and soundness is the, the reason the, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency for international transactions. And so the, the notion that somehow we're not going to raise the debt ceiling is completely misplaced. And there's no serious debate about the debt ceiling. Hmm. The serious debate is about... What will be the tax and spending policies of the United States? It is unquestionably true that we have accumulated an enormous amount of debt. It is unquestionably true that we are on an unsustainable trajectory. The current plans don't add up, and they will have to be changed. How they get changed is the real debate. Yeah. And, you know, you hear people talking about using the debt ceiling as a lever. That's one thing. It's also true that you can you know, make these point in negotiating the annual appropriations bills. And... One of the demands of, of now Speaker McCarthy was that they would do 12 individual appropriations bills and pass yeah. them in regular order and have people debate and, and and amend them. And I think that would be a tremendous thing because it would remind members of their actual jobs and of the, the priorities in the budget and what people on their side actually are willing to give up and what people on their side are willing to give up. They might be surprised to learn about the other party in, in these negotiations. <laughs> And that's another that's another place where you can have the debate about the spending. That's a real debate. It's one that it has to be had. And if it ends up in a shutdown, that's far less damaging than, than yeah. endangering the, the financial system. So, 
you know, have the debate, but the debate's not about the debt ceiling. And, and don't be confused about that. So you don't sound too worried that that the that, that a small faction of Republicans could make a real mess for Kevin McCarthy on this. Everyone ends up being a grown up when we walk up to the fiscal cliff. Uh I didn't say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have seen we have seen the U.S. downgraded uh, in uh, in similar circumstances a decade ago. Uh, it's the only downgrade the U.S. has, has ever faced. Um, the downgrade says essentially what it says about a company, which is you are unable to manage your finances. We cannot be confident of timely repayment of principal and interest. And and that that was because a small faction of holdouts endangered the ability of the process to get to yes. And so we have to get to yes. So they have to find a deal that they can get sold in the Senate. That's the nature of the beast. That is Kevin McCarthy's job as Speaker of the House. Uh, it is also the president's job. And he can't pretend that it's not part of his job. It's, it's uh, going to be uh, Leader Schumer and, and uh, McConnell's job. Sure. They're all going to have to find out what, how, what gets them to yes. The holdouts can make that very, very hard. I'm not going to deny that for a second. But, you know, this is a process that will probably have to get done before the August recess when all is said and done. Mm-hmm. They have six months. Start today. Find a way to get to yes. Don't do it at 11 p.m. after 15 uh, only. <laughs> get the yes. <laughs> you know who you're talking about here, though, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Our, our last moment, Douglas, we could do an hour on this. Uh, yeah. When you consider the conversation, defense spending has already been discussed, spending you know, money for Ukraine and so forth. Is that where they're going to attack this, or does this come out of domestic spending and entitlements? Uh, this is why I think talking about it for six months is literally a good idea. I mm-hmm. think few people understand that 70 percent of federal spending is entitlements. Right? That, 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 that's the money. So if you really want to change the trajectory, you've got to talk about entitlement reform. And to pretend that you can do it without that is wrong. A lot of people pretend. Then they say, OK, um, if we're going to do discretionary stuff, we're not going to we're, defense guys are off limit. Right. Now, that's 15 percent. Forget it. You can't put that off limit. Everything has to be on the Sounds table. Sounds like the answer is both. Douglas, come back when we have more time. Douglas Holtz, Deacon of the American Action Forum. He's been there on the Council of Economic Advisors. He used to run the COB. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It appears that gas stoves are here to stay. Man, that was a close call. Were you sucked up in the whole gas stove controversy this week? There was a story out there knocking around here on Bloomberg, as a matter of fact, at the head of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission was going to move to ban this sound. Yeah, come on. Light it. The gas stove. I'll tell you something. Joe Manchin has never been more upset. Did you see the statement from Joe Manchin on this? Uh, My goodness. A recipe for disaster, he says, after U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission Commissioner Richard Trumka Jr. said in an interview with Bloomberg that they were going to act on gas stoves because they emit pollutants that can cause health issues. A hidden hazard, he said. Any option is on the table. And then in the state of the state, Governor Kathy Hochul says New York might do the same thing. Listen. I'm proposing a plan to end the sale of new fossil-powered heating equipment by 2030 by calling for construction of all new construction to be zero emission starting in 2025 for small buildings and 2028 for large buildings. But we hear now from uh, from Mr. Trumka, I am not looking to ban gas stoves. The CPSC has 
no proceeding to do so. Joe Manchin said, quote, I can tell you the last thing that would ever leave my house is the gas stove that we cook on. I'm guessing the panel has feelings about this. I mean, nobody actually wants an electric stove, right, Jeannie? <laughs> I, I have to say, Joe Manchin really got me with that one. That was a very good pun on his it was part. Well written. It yeah. was well written. And of course, you know, you have AOC who's getting slammed a bit on this as well because she came out and talked about the fact that gas stoves are linked to brain damage, which has been part of what has been going on. So, you know, I wish I could say I was a great cook on either a gas stove or an electric <laughs> stove. I am not, as anybody who knows me knows. But I'm telling you, I am living in a place where they just banned gas-powered lawn equipment. So this is very wow. close to my heart. Yeah, you know, going around. It's tough to be in the York at this point. And of course, California is another state that has been pursuing these kinds of bans. This is another light bulb story, though, right, Rick? As soon as this gets out there, Republicans will turn this into a political story and Donald Trump will tell everybody that he saved the gas stove. Yeah, this is going to be so much fun. I mean, <laughs> you're going to rip my gas stove out of my kitchen? No way. I'm no. going to lay down over it. Um, but does anybody think it's a little odd that Richard Trumka Jr., the son of Richard Trumka, yes, who was right, the yeah. head of the AFL-CIO, who criticized Joe Biden for getting rid of the Keystone Pipeline, is now fighting uh, uh, gas stoves? I mean, I, I, you couldn't make this up. I mean, like, this administration has two faces to every issue. It really is something. I'll tell you what, if Anthony Bourdain were still alive, he would have made, he would have gone on a national roadshow to save the gas stove, I'm sure, would have been willing to give up uh, whatever health uh, he needed to. This is for chefs. This is a big deal, Jeannie. If you're a real cook, you don't fool around waiting for some electric burner to warm up. That's right. You know, they're saying this is a war on Gordon Ramsay, that the Democrats, Absolutely. the libs are going after Gordon Ramsay of all things. You know, they don't want people to be able to cook. They want to go in and, as Rick said, rip out their stoves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it it is not where the Democrats, not where the Biden administration should be, but it has gotten a lot of coverage. And of course, yep. this is also tied to the discussion of the environmental harm. They have now tied it to the health impacts and people are questioning the studies that have come out in this in this regard and of course you had the u.s consumer safety products commissioner say they would be open to public comment so i bet they're going to get a lot on this one no doubt to your point rick natural gas stoves used in about 40 percent of homes in the u.s that's going to be a pretty tough nut to crack i'm thinking yeah you're going to divide the public on this issue i think it's nuts this is one of those where the chief of staff to biden's like oh make my day yeah anybody right. else got any great ideas i'm guessing we're not talking about this one again who knows Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, great conversation. They found a second batch of documents. I guess we'll pick up there tomorrow on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.